Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Brew University Book Club uh, Season 1 bonus episode. This is a bonus episode of the Brew U Book Club. We've been talking about the book, but we're done talking about the book. Uh, but I missed my bookies so much that I had to bring them all back together and invite them to play a ridiculous game of words with me that is uh, very similar but legally distinct from Balderdash, if you've ever played anything like that. This is our own little uh, book club word championship game that we will be playing today. So I'm excited to have them with us, and I will introduce them to you now, beginning with Lisa Velez in Tampa. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. Glad to have you with us. Also, of course, returning from the Great White North is Dan Endress. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. How's everything in Minnesota? Absolutely wonderful. Fantastic. Also just this side of Canada. Uh, and what is this, a crossover episode? Kara Trevency is with us, our HR director in Tampa or Minnesota, who uh, is actually going to be up on season two of the book club, but we invited her to join us early. Hi, Kara. Welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. Also joining us, Chris Morgan from Fort Myers. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hey, what's going on, guys? Fun and merriment. That's what's going on. Uh, and of course, it wouldn't be a book club podcast season one or two if Suzanne Borgia wasn't with us, the original bookie queen herself. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome back. Hi, Jeff. Hi, bookies. All right. So uh, as I said, I have invited everyone here today to play a ridiculous game of words. Uh, that uh, if you have ever played Balderdash will seem very familiar to you. And if you aren't familiar with it, don't worry, because I will explain it for you now. Uh, in each round, I'm going to give this group of bookies a ridiculous but very real word that I looked up somewhere in some reference material and uh, proved its standing. If they know the word, they're going to send me that definition, the actual definition for the word. And if they do, they're going to score themselves three points and some serious bragging rights. But if they don't know the definition, which is very likely, uh, then they're going to make up a fake definition for me and try to fool their fellow bookies with it. So they will send me a fake definition. Once I have them all, I will read them out and they'll have a chance to guess. If they manage to suss out which one was real, that's two more points in their favor. And for each person who guesses their fake definition, they'll score another point as well. So you have a chance to do pretty well round by round uh, if you are able to successfully dissect which words are really which definitions and if you can fool a bunch of your friends along the way. Um, but there is one little wrinkle that I should point out, and that is that if any given round none of you manage to figure out which word definition is correct, then I, your humble host, will take three points of my very own. So I am in this to win it as well. We'll see how it all comes together. Sound like a plan? Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. All right. We will play until 18, the number of beers in a suitcase, because that's the tradition uh, that we play to. So with that, let's get into it and kick off with round one. Good place any to begin. And the word for the first round is Argle Bargle. Argle Bargle. A-R-G-L-E dash B-A-R-G-L-E, Argle Bargle. Please send me a definition for the word Argle Bargle now. Where did you find these words? That's a fantastic question. Um, several of them are from BuzzFeed lists. Um, a couple of them I stumbled across in other places. Uh, all of them are, in fact, legit words. However, I, I did look them up in more than one source. Were you ever used in the sentence? Yes. The definition you need to send me is for Argle Bargle. Just kidding. 
Do you, ha- do you have the word of origin? Nope. Not that you guys are going to get, that's for sure. Were you, were you ever in a spelling bee? I was definitely not. I am a terrible speller. If I did not have these in front of me, I would absolutely have no idea what I'm doing. I love the spelling bee they do on TV. Yeah, spelling was my absolute worst thing that I did. Spelling and handwriting were always low on my little report card as a as a youngster. I was the worst at handwriting, no matter how hard I tried. Worst. It's practicing to be a doctor. I just didn't have it bad enough <laughs> handwriting for that, clearly. My dad has amazing handwriting, though, so I thought it was going to be passed down, and it never got to me. It skipped me. I'm a lefty, so that's my excuse. Same. Lefty all the way. I can't read my own handwriting. That's pretty bad. What is with all the lefties today? Like, the last two days, I've run across four or five lefties in different capacities. Do you know that I've done a little study and doing interviews with the J.J. Taylor team, and the on-premise has the most left lefties? Oh, wow. Huh. But there's something to that. I think there must be. Now, now that is the kind of insight that you can only get on a bonus episode of the Book Club podcast, people. <laughs> You're welcome. Kara, we'll add that to our job interview screen. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We've got a whole new method for fishing people out. All right. All the definitions are now in for the word argle bargle. I'm going to read them to you. And you're going to try and figure out which one is the real one. So are we voting after you read them all? Yes, I will read them all. And then I will ask you each for your votes in a moment. So uh, here are your definitions for the word argle bargle. A dense winter fog containing frozen particles. An item that is not genuine or real. A metric to measure noise pollution in the atmosphere. Copious but meaningless talk or writing. To barter or trade in an angry manner. The part of the kidney that sends blood to the main valve of the heart. You guys are good. Wow. I love them all. Let's make them all right. Those are your definitions for Argle Bargle. And the first to get to guess is Lisa. Lisa, what do you think Argle Bargle is? Can you repeat the one that said copious something or another? Copious what? Copious but meaningless talk or writing. I think that's what it is. All right. Well, let me put you down for that then. Up next is Dan. Dan, what do you think Argle Bargle is? Jeff, what did you say the third one was? (laughs) The third one uh, is a metric to measure noise pollution in the atmosphere. So dismissive. (laughs) That's not it. (laughs) Forget whoever that was. And four... Uh, copious but meaningless talk or writing. I'll go with that. Gonna join Lisa with copious but meaningless talk. All right. Uh, Kara. What was the one after that? What was the one after the copious? Uh, after that is to barter or trade in an angry manner. I could see that. Argle bargle you. (laughs) (laughs) Was there another one after that? There was. A part of the kidney that sends blood to the main valve of the heart. Oh, my argle bargles. I'm going to go with the atmosphere one. The atmosphere one. Going into the atmosphere for Kara. All right. Uh, Chris, what do you think Argle Bargle is? What was the second one? The second one is an 
item that is not genuine or real. I mean, I like the copious one, but that one seems too obvious. So I'm going to go with that one, the second one. All right. An item that is not genuine or real for Chris. Plus, I'm looking at your guys' faces when I when you read it. And no, one, <laughs> no one made a weird face. So I'm like... <laughs> I think it could be that one. <laughs> uh, the the poker face comes into play. All right, Suzanne, it is your guess. What do you think Argle Bargle is? I'm also going with number two, an item not real. Item not genuine or real for Suzanne. All right. Well, let's see how that all shook out. Let's start with uh, Chris and Suzanne, who believed that Argle Bargle is an item that is not genuine or real. That definition is not genuine or real. It was Kara's. So two points to Kara for that one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Kara, by the way, believed that Argle Bargle was a metric measure, uh, metric to measure noise pollution in the atmosphere. That is Lisa's atmosphere that she was hanging out in, so a point to Lisa there. Uh, Lisa, meanwhile, along with Dan, believed that Argle Bargle was copious but meaningless talk or writing. Argle Bargle is copious but meaningless talk or writing. So two points each to Lisa and Dan for that one. So after the first round, let's do a quick scoreboard check. Uh, Lisa has jumped out into first place so far with three points. Way to go, Lisa. Dan is right there with her with two. Uh, also right there, tied in second, is Kara with two points. Uh, Chris and Suzanne do not have anything, but neither do I, so they're in good company, at least for now. It's early days. A lot could change. Let's see how it happens. Uh, so round two. Round two. Your round two word is... Gobamoosh. <laughs> Gobamoosh, yes. G O B E. M-O-U-C-H-E. Gobamoosh. Please send me a definition for the word gobamoosh now. All the little dots in my chat window are dancing in unison as everyone writes their delightful definitions for me. All right. All of the definitions are in for gobamoosh. So I will read them to you now, and then you will get a chance to guess which one is real. Uh, again, the word is gobamoosh. Here are your definitions. See if you can figure out what's what. Gobamoosh, a gullible or credulous listener. A hard textured cheese used during a traditional Swedish Christmas dinner. A guide who conducts sightseers in France. An aimless or meaningless walk or stroll. Traditional meaty stew that originates from the Bosnian region, made with fish and vegetables. A piece of machinery most often found in a farm tractor. Those are your definitions for gobamoosh. One of them is real, the rest are nonsense. And the first to get to guess in round two will be Dan. So Dan, tell us what is gobamoosh? I'll take the cheese. Dan takes the cheese. <laughs> All right. Next up is Kara. Kara, what do you think Gobamoosh is? I was thinking the cheese as well. I'm going to go with cheese. All right. Well, we'll cut it in half for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it got juvenile quick around here. So many. There's so many. <laughs> Jeff cut the cheese. 
Yeah, I cut the cheese for everyone on this one. It's good. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, Chris. Chris, you want some cheese or can I get you something else? <laughs> Perhaps a Bosnian stew. Yeah, I should jump on the cheese bandwagon. But what was the one after the cheese? <laughs> the one after the cheese is a guide who conducts sightseers in France. What was the one after that one? After, after that, an aimless or meaningless walker stroll. I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Chris is going to take an aimless or meaningless walker stroll. Yes. Got it. Uh, this is stressful. <laughs> this is very stressful. We got you stressed out, didn't we, Lisa? Yeah. Had no idea what your Friday was going to turn into. Suzanne, what do you think Gobabush is? Oh, man. I was going to go with the cheese, too, but now I wonder if I should go with the stew. I think I'm I'm going cheese. You're going with the cheese? All right. She just knew not to follow me again. Cutting the cheese three ways now. Lisa, you're up. You Can we cut you some cheese, too, or are you going to do something different? Okay, what was the first one one more time? Uh, the sorry. first one is a gullible or credulous listener. You know what? To be a little different, I'm going number one. But I really want to cut the cheese with you guys. <laughs> Lisa really wants to cut the cheese, but she's going number one instead. Got it. All right. Well, let's see how that worked out. Uh, Lisa decided that instead of cutting the cheese, she wanted to go number one. And chose a gullible or credulous <laughs> listener, much like many of our listeners are probably now. And she was exactly right. That is a wow. gobamoosh. It is a wow. gullible or credulous wow. listener. So good job, Lisa. Yeah, she gets two more points on that one. Um, Chris decided to take a aimless or meaningless stroll or walk and handed one point to Dan along the way. So good job, Dan, for that one. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Dan, Kara, and Suzanne all decided to split some hard textured cheese for a traditional Swedish Christmas dinner. And that was Chris's cheese that they yeah. were splitting. So nice job yeah. again, Good Chris. Job, Chris. Yeah. So a big shake up in the points now. Uh, as everything came together on that one. So, uh, so after round two, here are your scores. Uh, Lisa still uh, charging ahead with five points. Uh, Dan in second place with three, but tied with him is Chris as well for second place. Karis in fourth or third or whatever that works out to. I don't know how to do that thing. So it's in third, I guess, tied or yeah, tied for second. So Kara's in third with two. Uh, Suzanne and I continue to sit here on the starting line and, and wait to begin. But don't worry, it's it's going to happen. I can feel it. All right. Round three. Let's do something a little different for round three. Words are fun and all, but I wanted to do something a little more interesting with this particular round. This is a round that I call on your hallmark, get set, go. You may be familiar with uh, the Hallmark Channel's plethora of holiday movies that they churn out every few weeks in Vancouver like clockwork. Uh, they started as a Christmas tradition, but they've now expanded to a year-round calendar. There are holiday Hallmark movies for every season. And with Valentine's Day coming up ahead of us, I thought it might be fun to uh, take a look at the Hallmark's upcoming holiday schedule and uh, and see if we can, you know, come up with some some fun ideas for them as they get started. So for this round, I'm going to give you the name of a Hallmark holiday movie, and you're going to write for me the capsule description like you might find in the TV guide as you're scrolling along. Okay, so uh, for example, this is just an example. If I were to give you the movie Beverly Hills Wedding, you might tell me 
a meddling woman wins her sister an all-expense-paid wedding in Beverly Hills, but is disappointed when she learns her ex will be helping plan the party. Actual movie that Hallmark is releasing this year for holiday season, Valentine's Day. So uh, that is one of their two big uh, releases, and that's what you would write for me is that little capsule description. Uh, but the movie that you'll be writing one for is called... Mix Up in the Mediterranean. Mix Up in the Mediterranean. Please, if you will, bookies, write me a short plot description for the upcoming Hallmark holiday classic, soon to be the Valentine's event of the year, Mix Up in the Mediterranean now. The good news is all these movies are exactly the same, so you can pretty much write whatever you want. It'll sound plausible if you don't know the exact... When a former Full House star heads home to their small town for an upcoming holiday, taking a break from their busy life, they're reminded of the magic of the season when they meet a One Tree Hill star who's now the shop owner of the little town they used to live in. They fall in love and she gives up all her career and ambitions for him. It's fantastic. Wash, wash, rinse, wash, repeat. All the definitions are in for Mix Up in the Mediterranean, the soon-to-be Hallmark family classic. Valentine's Day film. These are them. One of them's real. Let's see if you can figure it out. Mix up in the Mediterranean. While on a cruise, Violet falls in love, not knowing that he is the heir to a prominent royal family. A family on a Mediterranean cruise realize that they left their son Kelvin at home in New York. Kelvin must survive being left home by himself while his family enjoys the cruise. <laughs> A small-town cook impersonates his estranged big-city chef twin to compete in a culinary contest in Malta and falls for the woman in charge of the event. <laughs> it was supposed to be her childhood dream destination wedding until the impossible happened. Did love prevail or will her life be forever changed? A couple and their families head to the Mediterranean for a destination wedding over Valentine's Day when the groom-to-be and his twin brother swap roles to prank the bride-to-be and family. And finally, a single woman goes to Greece and finds the love of her life, only to discover that her lover is wanted by the Peruvian government for espionage. One of those is actually the plot of Mix-Up in the Mediterranean. But all of them have actually been optioned by Hallmark. That's the good news. We <laughs> Congratulations, as we will all be going into production with these next week. Those are your descriptions. You get to guess, and the first to get to guess in round three is Kara. So, Kara, tell us, what is the mix-up in the Mediterranean all about? What was the cook one? A small-town cook impersonates his estranged big-city chef twin to compete in a culinary contest in Malta and falls for the woman in charge of the event. Leaning toward one of the twin ones. There are a couple of them. Leading towards the twins. I'm going to go with the cook in Malta. The cook in Malta for Kara. All right. Next up is Chris. Chris, what's happening in the Mediterranean? That's got us all mixed up. <laughs> I like that cook in Malta one, too. I'm going to go with that. Also a cook in Malta for Chris. All right. Next up to pick is Suzanne. Suzanne, what do you got for me? Um, go in with the childhood wedding will love prevail. Childhood wedding will love prevail. Gosh, I hope so. It'd be more like a movies and mysteries Hallmark edition if it didn't. All right, Lisa. 
What's uh, what's happening in the Mediterranean there for us? I don't think it's the Cook and Malta twin. I think it's the couple destination, uh, that one. I think it's the one that you said. The, the other twin one? The other twin one, yeah. The other twin one for Lisa. All right. And Dan, what is the mix-up in, Mal- uh, mix in the Mediterranean? Oh, man. Mix-up. I'm going to go with the Greece one just to do something. The last one. All right. You got it. Uh, yeah. All right. All the definite are everybody's picked. So let's see what happened there. Suzanne thought that it was supposed to be her childhood dream destination wedding until the impossible happened. Did love prevail or will her life be changed forever? No, Dan's life will be changed forever because he gets a point for your guess, Suzanne. So one point to Dan for that one. Uh, Lisa went with the other twin one. The couple and their families head to the Mediterranean for a destination wedding over Valentine's Day when the groom-to-be and his twin brother swap roles to prank the bride-to-be and family. That is brought to you by the creative mind of Kara. So one point to Kara (laughs) for pranking the twins. Nice job. Uh, Dan, meanwhile, thought that a single woman went to Greece to find the love of her life only to discover that her lover is wanted by the Peruvian government for espionage. I think Lisa also belongs on Movies and Mysteries with that particular one. So point to Lisa there. And that left Kara and Chris, who think that a small town cook impersonating his estranged big city chef twin to compete in a culinary contest in Malta, but falling for the woman in charge of the event was the real one. They were right. That is correct. (laughs) It is uh, exactly what Mike's Up in the Mediterranean is all about. So two points each to Chris and Kara for that one. Nice job, everybody. Like I said, all of of these have now been optioned. You're all going to be getting a check from Hallmark Channel. Congrats. (laughs) So what does that do to the scorers? Well, Lisa is now at six points and still in the lead. Uh, But Chris and Kara now each have a share of second place with five points apiece. Dan has four, and me and Suzanne still hanging out together back here watching you guys (laughs) run away with it. It's all right. I like it here. I'm going to hang out with Suzanne. We're good on the starting line. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. All right. Can all change in this round, though, because this round is another word round. Let's go back to words. And the word for this round is... Cacoethes. Cacoethes. C-A-C-O-E-T-H-E-S. Cacoethes. Please send me a definition for the word cacoethes now. I'm going to edit out a lot of these long pauses, put a little music behind it. It's going to be so fancy when we're done. Oh my god. This is too much stress for Lisa on a Friday, I can tell. We're just we're just playing games with our friends on on teams. It's all it's all fun and games until someone has to define something. Great when you're having a, like a cocktail in your hand. That would be a complete. You're welcome story. to get one. I won't say a thing. You're hanging out in your downtown loft anyway. True, true. You got a point. Next time I'll be sure to send everyone to the tap room before we get started. All right, all the definitions are in for the word cacoethes. Let's see what you guys did and if anybody can figure out the truth. Cacoethes. Here are your choices. <clears throat> A Chechenian prediction, the act of prophesizing. To act in a trivial or ineffective way. A term used to describe loud and jarring noises designed to confuse. An urge to do something inadvisable. 
a molecule in the DNA of sheep that allows for their wool to regrow after being cut or trimmed. The female reproductive organ of the cocoa plant. One of those is actually the definition of cacoethes. And the first to get to guess in round four is Chris. So Chris, tell us all, what is cacoethes? What was the first one? The first one is a Chechenian prediction, the act of prophesizing. I know it's not that, but I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Chris going with the obviously wrong answer. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, next up, Suzanne. Will you read two and three for me again? Absolutely, I will. The act, uh, I'm sorry, to act in a trivial or ineffective way, a term used to describe loud and jarring noises designed to confuse. I'm going with the cocoa plant reproductive. <laughs> going with the cocoa plant reproduction. Has me read all these definitions. Doesn't go with one. All right, fine. Uh, next up is Lisa. Lisa, what is cacoethes? I'm going to go with the trivial, trivial. I think this is the number two. The trivial, trivial to act in a trivial or ineffective way. Yeah. All right. And Dan, what do you think cacoethes is? Could you read four one more time? I can. Four is an urge to do something inadvisable. All right. I'm going to play Suzanne's card here and go with number three. Pick something. Going with number three. The, the loud noise? I believe that's three. That's three. All right. And last but not least, Kara, what is cacoethes? I'm going to go with the, what was the, the last one's about cocoa plant? Yeah, the female reproductive organ of the cocoa plant. <laughs> Gosh. I'm going to go with that one. Okay. Cocoa plant, female reproductive organ for Suzanne and Kara. You got it. All right. Well, let's uh, let's start here. Chris thought that a cacoethes was a Chechenian prediction, the act of prophesizing, and he gave Suzanne her first point of the round. So yay, Suzanne. Congratulations. Chris helped you out on that. I, I was secretly trying to find Suzanne. Well, you found it. Mission year. accomplished. So one point to Suzanne for that. Uh, Lisa believed that to act in a trivial or ineffective way was cacoethes, but that was Kara's answer. Oh, so point yay. to Kara. Congratulations. Uh, meanwhile, Dan thought that a term used to describe a loud or, and jarring noise designed to confuse was cacoethes. That was Lisa's loud and jarring noise designed to confuse Dan. So a point to Lisa <laughs> for that one. And then there was Suzanne and Kara, who both thought that cacoethes was a female reproductive organ of the cocoa plant. An absolutely ridiculous idea. <laughs> Brought to you by Dan Endress. So two points to Dan for that one. Which means that nobody correctly guessed that cacoethes is an urge to do something inadvisable. So three points to me. Yes, your Dasher has won three points of his very own. Oh, I'm so excited. That's this awesome. This podcast is a cacoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that is awesome. All right. I'm going to be using these in a sentence, and people are going to be looking at it, and I was like, what? <laughs> so exciting. So everybody's off the starting square now as we turn our attention back to the scoreboard. Uh, Lisa remains out in front with seven points. Dan and Kara right behind her in second place with six each. In third is Chris with five points. In uh, fourth is me, your host, with three points. And Suzanne has her points, so she is also off the starting square as well. So everybody's got some points, which is great. And we move on now to round five. Round five, the word is... Dory for. One more time. Dory for. D-O-R-Y-P-H-O-R-E. Dory for. Please send me a definition for the word Dory for now. Can you spell that one more time, Jeff? I can. It's D-O-R-Y-P-H-O-R-E. Dory for. What's a Dory for? It's for Finding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't use that. That's what you're saying. No. Oh, Lisa's like, delete, delete, delete. Can't believe he used it. (laughs) Come on now, you got to be better than the host. That's important. Don't sink to my level. Female reproductive organ of the cocoa plant. I'm so proud of that, Dan. That was so good. I mean, it made sense. It's actually pretty good. It's great. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. I was excited. Sometimes I play this with people whose only goal is to see what they can make the dasher have to read out loud and embarrass themselves with. That is a strategy, in case you were wondering. You might, you maybe should not have told us that slash strategy, because we could probably come up with some (laughs) funny things to make you say in this podcast, and we'll forever have it recorded. I'm going to end up having to put the explicit tag on this podcast. All right, all the definitions are in for the word Dory for. These are them. Let's see how we did. Dory for to form or move in waves, semicolon, fluctuate. A friend or family member you never see. A piece of hydraulic equipment for laying cement when the ground is uneven or unsettled. A Greek tool used for applying masonry similar to a trowel. The layer of skin cells that keeps the wings of a ladybug moist. A pedantic and annoyingly persistent critic of others. One of those is the real definition for the word Dory for. And the first to get to guess is... Suzanne, tell us what a Dory for is. I think the ladybug's wings. The ladybug wings. All right, put you down for that one then. Uh, next up is Lisa. Lisa, what's a dory for? <laughs> I'm going to go with the Greek tool. All right. Greek tool for Lisa. Next up is Dan. Dan, what is dory for? A critic of others. A pedantic and annoyingly persistent critic of others for Dan. Got it. Uh, Kara, what's a dory for? What was the first one? The first one was to form or move in waves, semicolon, fluctuate. I'm going to go with that one because there's a semicolon in there. Oh, she's going for that semicolon. Grammar. It's all about the grammar. (laughs) It's all about the grammar, folks. It's all about the grammar. All right. 
And uh, let's see here. That leaves us with Chris. Chris, what is Dory for? What was the last definition? A pedantic and annoyingly critic. I'm sorry. A pedantic and annoyingly persistent critic of others. I'm going to go with that one. All right. An annoying critic for Chris and Dan both. Okay. Let's see how we did. Uh, I'm going to start with Lisa, who wanted a Greek tool used for applying masonry similar to a trowel. Uh, that was Dan's Greek tool that you were chasing after, so point to Dan for that one. <laughs> Suzanne thought that a layer of skin cells that keeps the wings of a ladybug's wings moist was a dory for. Kara. I think it was Kara. Uh, no, it was Lisa's skin cells and oh. moist wings oh. that you were after on that one. Uh, I just want you to hear you say moist. <laughs> I was going to say, I would never use that word. <laughs> And we've lost half our audience. Right. No. Uh, meanwhile, Kara thought to form or move in waves, semicolon, fluctuate was Dory for. Uh, brought in by the semicolon, Suzanne has taken you for a point there, Kara. So nice job, Suzanne. Love the semicolon. It's, that's a always a good way to go. Uh, that leaves Dan and Chris, who both thought that a pedantic and annoyingly persistent critic of others was a Dory for. They were exactly right. That is a Dory four. So two points each to Chris and Dan. So that means we've had a little bit of a shakeup on the scoreboard as Dan has now moved into first with nine points, followed by Lisa with eight. <laughs> Chris has seven. Kara has six. I have three and Suzanne has two. So everyone is conga lining right on down the leaderboard as we go here. And that will conga line us right into round six. Hey, words are great and all, but uh, let's do something a little more fun for round six. <clears throat> In round six, we're going to get a visit from everyone's favorite uh, Everglades superhero, Florida Man. You guys know Florida Man, our state mascot and local hero who gets into all sorts of nonsense and shenanigans. Yes, wherever an alligator is taken into a 7-Eleven or someone is eating their own face off on bath salts, Florida Man is surely nearby. Uh, and this time of year, Florida Man, like many of us, is uh, getting ready for the Valentine's Day holiday by looking for love. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Florida Man was up to, and you're going to fill in the rest for us as we celebrate Florida Man's Valentine's Day. <clears throat> In this instance, it was a Tallahassee man who was cited by the city for lacking a permit for the 14-foot Valentine's Day decoration that he put in his yard as a tribute to his wife. Bookies, tell me if you will, what homage did Florida Man erect for his wife in the front yard that caused him to get cited by the city? <laughs> If you will, please tell us what Florida Man's front yard had in it now. You're in trouble with this one. Oh, oh, Jeff. <laughs> why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> you know exactly why. For all the HR possibilities in my head right now and what I can and cannot say. This is a safe space, Dan. It's safe, Dan. It's safe. It's just us. Oh. Innuendo's welcome, but don't make me put the explicit tag on this thing, you guys. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. Should have seen all the stories I wrote through to, to end up at this one. <laughs> so I take it I didn't really need to bring this no. with me? No, we're... <laughs> there, there are no answers in the book for this one. I I don't think Dave Ramsey used any of these words in his book, Entree Leadership. 
but funny enough, he did tell this story about Florida Man, so I guess you could have looked up the right answer for that. Now, he's in, he's in the, uh, he's in the afterthought, in the, the footnotes. So one time uh, in elementary school, they we had a, a place in in town called Chester's Fried Chicken, and they had a 14 foot Chester chicken in a sheriff's outfit that was their mascot. And uh, we actually took it after a fair that they had brought it out for one time, and we left it in the vice principal's yard overnight. So when she woke up the next morning, there was a, a giant chicken in the front yard waiting for her. The neighbors were not amused that we managed to get past the gate into that neighborhood. But we did. None of you suggested a giant chicken, though, so I don't mind telling that story now. None of you had giant chicken as your answer, but you did have these answers. One of them is real. Uh, so again, Valentine's Day for Florida man in Tallahassee, cited for the uh, cited by the city for lacking a permit on the 14-foot Valentine's Day decoration that he put in his yard as a tribute to his wife. What was that decoration? Well, it was one of these. Let's see if you can figure it out. A replica intercontinental ballistic missile decorated with hearts and cupids called Cupid 1. Uh, desperately wanting to start a family, he put a camel, an inflatable camel, with three humps in the front yard. After all, a camel with three humps is pregnant. A statue of Chief Osceola and Renegade. A nude painting of himself holding a bouquet of roses. A 14-foot inflatable Richard doll holding a plate of milk and cookies. Or Bigfoot. One of those is what was standing 14 feet tall in Florida Man's front yard for Valentine's Day last year. And the first to get to guess at this ridiculous scenario is Lisa. So Lisa, we are back around to you. Tell us, what did Florida Man erect for his wife in the front yard? Tallahassee, you said, right? Tala yes, it was Tallahassee. It's a very important distinction because if this was Jacksonville, it could be way worse, right? Just so much dirtier. You know, I'm going to go with um, Osceola. Chief Osceola and Renegade, the mascot of Florida State University in Tallahassee for Lisa. That's my guess. That's your guess. I got you down. Your marked is down. Dan, what would you like to venture a guess that Florida man put in the front yard? Nude. The new man. Um, that. that that's got to be it. Although I don't know if permit would cover that. Dan wants a 14-foot-tall nude self-portrait of himself holding boy Okay, Roses, got it. Check. <laughs> I've got you marked this down. Uh, Kara, what do you think was in Florida Man's front yard? Um, I also was going to go with the nude. Was he holding cookies? No. Uh, the nude painting is of himself holding a bouquet of roses. Uh, but there was also a 14-foot inflatable Richard doll holding a plate full of milk and cookies. No, I'm going to go with the, the nude one. Also going for the nude one is Kara. Okay. Uh, Chris, would you like a 14-foot tall nude painting of yourself holding <laughs> yeah. roses as well? Or can I get you something else? Well, I, I am trying to figure out some Valentine's Day ideas. And some of these ain't bad. So. <laughs> what, was the, what was the first one? Uh, the first one was a replica intercontinental ballistic missile decorated with hearts and cupids called Cupid One. So for it to be a Florida man story, it's got to be pretty ridiculous. And that's ridiculous. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> the the others are not ridiculous enough for you? <laughs> no, this is that's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Chris, for the con intercontinental ballistic missile, you got it. Uh, that leaves us with Suzanne. Suzanne, what was in Florida Man's front yard? I want to choose the nudie one. However, <laughs> I think it's the 
Missile. All right. So which one are we going with? The missile. The missile for Suzanne as well. Okay. It's Tallahassee. I've, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> you have been. You went to school there, I believe. I did go to school there. You you graduated from Florida State University. I did graduate from Florida State University. Which means you would definitely know that a statue of Chief Osceola and Renegade is a thing that someone in Tallahassee might have on their front lawn, uh, which is why you wrote it and Lisa gave you a point for it. So one point to Suzanne from Lisa for that one. Uh, meanwhile. But they give permits out for that, so that couldn't be right. Uh, yeah, no no one's going to get in trouble for having a 14-foot statue of Chief no. Osceola. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to make common sense out of it. Uh, meanwhile, Dan and Kara, Minnesota contingent, <laughs> believed that a nude painting of himself holding a bouquet of roses was what was out there. Uh, would that it was, but that was Chris's idea. So apparently we know what he's doing for Valentine's Day. Didn't need any of these <laughs> other suggestions. Um, and that leaves Chris and Suzanne who both thought that a replica intercontinental ballistic missile decorated with hearts and cupids and called Cupid One is something that a Florida man would make a 14-foot statue of and put on his front lawn. It's a good one. And they're right. That is exactly what Florida man had in his yeah. front yard. Yeah, I was thinking about doing that one. So two Damn. points each to Chris and Suzanne. So after round six... Boy, it is coming together now. Uh, Chris has jumped out into the lead with a big round there, uh, having a score of 11 points now. Dan is still right on his heels with nine. Lisa following along with eight. Kara with six. Suzanne has five, having passed me to put me in last place with my measly three little points here at the end of the stack. So those are your rankings after round six, and we are headed to round seven. And the word for round seven is eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. E U C A T A S T R O P H E. Eucatastrophe. Please send me a definition for the word eucatastrophe now. So I'm I'm debating because I have two answers that are so similar that I'm I'm tempted to either merge them and give both players a point, or do I just let it go and you guys have to decide between some very similar stuff? I'm gonna leave them. I'm gonna leave them, and you may just have to decide for yourself what's what. Good luck, everybody. The word is you catastrophe. And the definitions are as follows. See if you can decide which one is real. Eucatastrophe, the opposite of catastrophe, semicolon, calmness and tranquility. An event where two comets cross perpendicular to the Earth's moon simultaneously. A seemingly catastrophic event that ended with unexpected positive results. Something one has when bored. A pleasant accident, a happy ending to a story. One of those is actually a eucatastrophe. The others you made up. And the first to get to guess which is which is Dan. So, Dan, what's a eucatastrophe? Yeah, three of those at least. Three of those um, are within the margin, aren't they? 
To go off of that path, though, I'm going to go with the Comets. Going with the Comets. Uh, next up, Kara. Kara, what's a catastrophe? Was that the third one? The Comets? The Comets... No, that was the second one. The third one was a seemingly catastrophic event that ended with unexpected positive results. I'm going to go with number three. Number three. All right. Let's see if your seemingly catastrophic choice ends up with positive results in a minute. <laughs> Next up to guess is Chris. Chris, what's a catastrophe? I'm going to go with three as well. Also going with three for Chris. Got it. Uh, Suzanne, care to venture a guess? Same. Seemingly catastrophic event. Seemingly catastrophic event with unexpected positive results for Suzanne. And last but not least, Lisa, what do you think a catastrophe is? Can you read me the last one one more time? I can. It's a happy ending to a story. And the one before that was the, the one... A pleasant accident. I think I must go with going, that. I'm going to go with the group uh, going, on this one. All right. Number three. Lisa swerves in yeah. to a seemingly catastrophic event that ended with positive results. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about that seemingly catastrophic event that ended with unexpected positive results. Four of you, Chris, Kara, Suzanne, and Lisa, believed that that is a catastrophe. But that catastrophic choice ends with unexpected positive results for Dan, who wow. wrote that and gets nice four job. points. Wow. Between you uh, and the uh, that and the female, uh, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> 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 I was about to go left with that. Forgot about it. Never mind. Disregard. Dan, Dan meanwhile, uh, thought that a catastrophe was an event where two comets cross perpendicular to the Earth's moon simultaneously. Uh, if he's wrong, his catastrophic choice will end up with positive results for me. And it did because he picked Chris's answer. So point to Chris for his comments and three points to me for a happy ending oh, to a story. No way. So no that way. is a you catastrophe. Oh, got you all on that one. It was so close with two of the three of them. And I was like, ah, oh, what do I do? But I, I had to let it ride and. It rode right to Dan's scoreboard. So let's take a look at the results after that round. Uh, Dan is way out in front now uh, with 13 points, but actually right behind him in second is Chris with 12. Uh, then Lisa with eight. Kara and I are tied for six right now. And Suzanne has five. So that's how round seven rolled. Let's roll into round eight where the word will be. Rum pot. Rum pot. R-U-M-P-O-T. Rum pot. Please send me a definition for the word rum pot now. Tell you what, Dan's Dan's about knocking on the door of this. If he has two more good rounds, it's over. But don't worry, I got a couple of good rounds coming, so it's worth worth waiting to see how it happens. Rum pot. Pot full of rum. No. Space, 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 space. It's not a pot full of yeah. rum. Yeah. Oh, it's not that? <laughs> no, it's not a pot full of rum. Dots are bouncing. People are thinking. Everybody's so serious. You guys are working hard on this one. <laughs> hmm. 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 Very interesting. 
stupid. It's the subtitle for this episode. Oh, we have fun. All right. All the definitions are in. The word was rumpot. Rumpot. One of these is real. Let's see if you can figure it out which. Rumpot. A spice used in sub-Saharan Africa, semicolon, used for medicinal purposes. To understand thoroughly and intuitively. A pot used by ancient Ethiopians, used to gather leaves and berries to be burned for birthdays. A habitual or heavy drinker. A Mongolian dish made of grain, horse meat, and fermented camel milk wine. <laughs> or a meek or unassertive person, semicolon, timid. One of those is a rum pot. And the first to get to guess in this round will be... Dan, I believe it's to you. I have a feeling I'm giving somebody a point here, but I'm going to... You're giving somebody a point. Yeah. Either yourself or one of them or me. Who knows? Uh, the meek or timid The meek or timid person. Meek or timid person. Dan, drawn in by that semicolon, I can tell already. <laughs> Never know. Semicolons are sneaky. They are. They are. All right. Meeker, unassertive person, semicolon, timid for Dan. Next up to guess is Kara. Kara, what is a rum pot? What was the second to last one? The second to last one is a Mongolian dish made of grain, horse meat, and fermented camel milk wine. I'm going to go with that. All right. Mongolian dish for Kara. Getting to be lunchtime. Next. Yeah, I'm hungry. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> camel milk wine. Mm. <laughs> Just, just like mom used to ferment. It's delicious. Uh, let's see. Chris, what's a rum pot? Uh, I think all of them are wrong. You got it. You found the secret to this one. They're all crap. Let's throw them out and start over. Chris beat the game. I'm going to go with the drinker. Oh, that habitual or heavy drinker. All right. A habitual or heavy drinker for Chris. Got you down. Next is Suzanne. I think I'm going to go with the African spice, but it just seems too obvious, so it's probably wrong. <laughs> the African spice used for medicinal purposes for Suzanne. You got it, dude. And Lisa. Lisa, what's a rum pot? Let's go with meek and timid. Meek and timid. Meek and timid. Joining Dan in the semicolon. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's start there. Dan and Lisa both thought that a meek or unassertive person, semicolon, timid, was a rum pot. And that was Suzanne's semicolon you fell for. So two points to Suzanne. Damn, girl, that's twice. You got me twice. Suzanne's got your number with that semicolon, Lisa. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, inspired you to write the definition that you did, uh, which was a spice used in sub-Saharan Africa, semicolon, used for medicinal purposes, which fooled Suzanne. So you can give that point right back, Suzanne. There it goes to Lisa. It's the, semi it's the semicolon. It's the semicolon that got you. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Kara believed that a Mongolian dish made of grain, horse meat, and fermented camel milk wine was a rum pot. Sounds delicious. But you'll excuse me for not joining Dan for Sunday night dinner. Where do you come up with this stuff? They probably hunt for it in Minnesota. Fermented camel milk? Yes, the, the rum pot is a traditional aperitif for a, uh, a meal of uh, 
of uh, gefilte fish or whatever else they <laughs> do up in the great <laughs> Minnesota wilderness. Ludifisk. Yes, thank you. That's what I was going for. Oh, goodness. Oh, we have fun. Uh, so that just leaves Chris Morgan. Chris, who thought that a rum pot was a habitual or heavy drinker. He was right. That is a rum pot. So two points oh, to Chris. I thought of that, too. Uh, no way. Nice, nice job, Chris. They're job. killing it, man. He is killing it. Him him and Dan are both killing it. In fact, after that round, they are tied for first place with 14 points each. Wow. Knocking on the door of the finish line. Right behind them is Lisa with nine. Uh, Suzanne with seven. Big move for Suzanne. Uh, Kara and I both have six hanging out here at the, the back of the pack, but that's all right because there's more to come as we head to round nine. And round nine is going to be a little different. We've been doing some words. Words are fun. But uh, for this round, this is a round that I call, I drank what? So uh, I love a good cocktail as much as the next person. Unfortunately, I don't always remember how to put my favorite cocktails together. Uh, In this case, I'm going to give you the name of a cocktail. And you're going to write the ingredient list for me. I, I don't need to worry about... Uh, ounces of this or a splash or a dash of that. I'll eyeball the whole recipe. But if you could just make a list of ingredients for me as to what goes in this cocktail, I will mix one right up as soon as we're done here. And so for this round, the name of the cocktail that I would like to make is Hop, Skip, and Go Naked. Hop, Skip, and Go Naked is the cocktail we'll be mixing up today. Please, bookies, if you will, send me the ingredient list for a hop, skip, and go naked. Now. Oh, I like it. I like where you guys... These all sound good. I would actually... This group could throw up quite the party. <laughs> Let's mix all these up after we're done here. Great. That'll be the next one. We'll just ta- do a tasting of everyone's recipe. <laughs> There you go. That'll make this game a lot more fun. <laughs> I think it's fun now. Wait till we've all mixed up one of these. All right. All the definitions, uh, all the recipes are in for my favorite summer cocktail, the Hop, Skip, and Go Naked. One of these is real. The rest are nonsense. You can figure out which is which. Beginning with <clears throat> this one, uh, the Hop, Skip, and Go Naked. Beer, pickle juice, mint, and salt. A hop slam, tequila, and a slice of orange. Lemon vodka, grapefruit juice, simple syrup, and beer. Beer, tequila, and margarita mix. Miller Lite, Jameson, ginger ale, cranberry. Coffee-flavored rum, Bailey's, and chocolate sauce. One of those is, in fact, the hop, skip, and go naked. And the first to get to guess on this round is Kara. Kara, tell us, how do you hop, skip, and go naked? Well, <laughs> thinking, I'm thinking tequila's involved. A lot of people thought tequila was involved based on this Can list. you read the tequila ones again? I can. Uh, one of them is beer, tequila, and margarita mix. The other is hop slam, tequila, and a slice of orange. I'm going to do that one. Hop slam, tequila, and a... Slice of orange for Kara. You got it. All right. 
Uh, next up is Chris. Chris, what is a hop, skip, and go naked? What was the Miller Lite one again? Miller Lite, Jameson, ginger ale, cranberry. I'm going to go with that one. All right. Chris going for Miller Lite, Jameson, ginger ale. Next up is Suzanne. Suzanne, what do you got? I'm going the Jameson, ginger ale, cran. Jameson, ginger ale, cran as well. All right. Lisa, what do you think? Damn. Damn, damn, damn. <laughs> I think I'm going to do the um, Hop Slam Tequila and Orange. Hop Slam Tequila and Orange for Lisa as well. Got it. And last but not least, Dan, what is a hop, skip, and go naked? I'm going to go with margarita with beer, tequila margarita with beer. Beer, tequila, margarita mix? Yeah. Well, uh, let's start with Dan, who chose beer, tequila, and margarita mix, which was his own answer. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> he, he knew it was knew it was wrong, uh, but he chose it anyway. I did know it was wrong. We drink them in Minnesota, and we call them skip and go naked. Beer, tequila, and margarita mix? Oh, wow. Oh, hang on now. I got to actually. Yeah. Wait, how do you guys, what do you guys call it in Minnesota? <laughs> That's we call them, call them, we call them beeritas. That's what I call it too, the beerita. Yeah. A beerita or a skip and go naked. Yeah. Yeah. Leaving I off the hop. Find, wow. I can't find <laughs> a official recipe on that one. So Dan, Dan guessed his own. No points for guessing your own, which right. is a strategy move. Sometimes people will guess their own early on to get others to follow him. But Dan did it in the last round, which I thought was weird. Uh, <laughs> that's why I was like, really? Um, so no no points to Dan for guessing himself. Uh, but he gets a beer tequila uh, and some margarita mix all for himself. So enjoy that. Uh, let's see. Chris and Suzanne believed that a hop, skip, and go naked is Miller Lite, Jameson, ginger ale, and cranberry. And that is Kara's recipe they followed. So two points to Kara for that one. Wow. Kara and Lisa, meanwhile, believed that hop slam, tequila, and a slice of orange was a hop, skip, and go naked. And they fell for Suzanne's answer. So that <laughs> means that nobody correctly wow. guessed that a hop, skip, and go naked, as I found it in Mr. Boston Includes, lemon vodka, grapefruit juice, simple syrup, and beer. So good job, everybody, for thinking beer, but... Gotta have tequila in it. I'm with you guys. <laughs> it's not really a go naked if there's not some tequila, apparently. I believe so. <laughs> All right. Nice job, everybody. So... After that round, uh, Dan and Crystal tied in the lead for 14 points each, but now we have a three-way tie in second place. Uh, Lisa, Suzanne, and me, your host, each have nine points. And, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Kara is right there with us with eight points. So it is a close game as we head into round 10. And the word for round 10 is... Bibliopole. <laughs> Bibliopole. B-I-B-L-I-O-P-O-L-E. Bibliopole. Please send me a definition for the word bibliopole now. <laughs> I 
We have fun. Uh, I'm laughing because there is a clear theme amongst all of these as they've been rolling in. Clear theme amongst all these answers, and that theme is we know half of the definition of this word, but not the other half. One part of the root is very clear to everybody, and the rest of it is up for grabs. So I, I giggle as they all are well within the bandwidth. All right, I have all the definitions for the word bibliopole. One of them is real, the rest are not, and you will be deciding which is which. Here are your definitions. <clears throat> bibliopole. A person who buys and sells books, especially rare ones. A person who is afraid of the library. <laughs> a person who reads in the dark. A ladder used in libraries or bookstores to access books on upper shelves. A person who references the Bible to prove a point in an argument, but contradicts themselves at the same time. A pole located in the middle of a public library, frequented by women trying to pay for college. <laughs> One of those is the correct definition for a bibliopole. <laughs> and the first to get to guess this round is Chris. So, Chris, what's a bibliopole? Oh, my gosh. What do you want it to be, Chris? <laughs> I, I want to give someone a point. So I'm going to go with... The pole in the middle of the library. Okay. For college. All right. Chris is on the pole in the library. Uh, next up is Suzanne. Suzanne, what can I get for you? Um, Something book related? I don't think this is right, but I'm going to go with it. The referencing the Bible to contradict what? A person who references the Bible to prove a point in an argument but contradicts themselves at the same time. You got it. Uh, next up is Lisa. Lisa, what's a bibliopole? What was the third one? The third one is a person who reads in the dark. I have zero idea. So let's go with uh, let's go with read, reading in the dark. We'll go with number three. Lisa will be reading in the dark today. Uh, Dan, what's a bibliopole? I'm torn between the first two. I'm going to go with the first one. Rare book buyer. Rare book buyer for Dan. You got it. And Kara, what's a bibliopole? I'm going to go with Dan with the buyer. Joining Dan on the book buyer. All right. Well, let's see how that worked out. Uh, Dan and Kara both thought that a person who buys and sells books, especially rare ones, is a bibliopole. They're right. That's a bibliopole. Oh, so two wow. points each Good job. to Kara and Dan. Nice job, you guys. Uh, Lisa believed that a bibliopole is a person who reads in the dark. That was Kara's answer. So another point to Kara for that one. Uh, Suzanne, meanwhile, thought that a person who references the Bible to prove a point in an argument but contradicts themselves at the same time was a bibliopole. Gotta be Dan. 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 No, it was Chris <laughs> with that contradicting argument. Like and speaking of Chris, uh, he chose a poll located in the middle of a public library <laughs> frequented by women trying to pay for college. I think he knew it wasn't the right answer, but he wanted to give a point to its author. Appreciate you. And that author was Lisa. Nice. So good job, Lisa. <laughs> One point to you as well. Anyone who had the heart to write that. Just <laughs> <laughs> They're just trying to make me say stuff, folks. That's what this is. All right. Let's see how the scores all shook out after that one. Uh, 
Dan is back in the lead with 16 points. He is on the doorstep, guys. I think this may be coming his way pretty soon. Uh, but you never know because right behind him is Chris with 15. One good round could put him there as well. Uh, followed by Kara with 11 and Lisa with 10. Suzanne and I are tied with 9 apiece. So it still could be just about anybody's game. Uh, but we got a couple of them that are right at it. Um, and so let's jump to this round because I really want to make sure we get this in and this might be the last round. Uh, so this is a round, you know, words are fun and all, but uh, this is a round that I'm calling Goodwill Reading. It's, uh, it's that Valentine's Day time of year, and for those who are not fortunate enough to have that special someone in their life, they might find themselves like I was, strolling through the Goodwill used books section and uh, leafing through the various romance novels that will keep them company on a long Valentine's Day night to themselves. Uh, so for this round, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the title of a book that I found at the Goodwill and read you the back cover of the jacket from that book. And then you will write for me the first sentence of said book. Uh, and this particular book <clears throat> comes to us from the uh, Harlequin Romance series of novels. The book is called <laughs> Rough Ride Romeo. <laughs> It is the second book in the Crawley Creek book series. So let me tell you a little bit about Rough Ride Romeo, and then you'll write the first sentence for us. Uh, this is the back jacket of Rough Ride Romeo. <clears throat> in a small town in North Dakota, there resides a family of misfits on the Crawley Creek Ranch. Brought together by hardship and heartache, they've bonded without blood ties and seek to help others. Four brothers who've walked both sides of the line and come out stronger for it, but will they survive love, loss, and the law? Roman Romeo Fremont puts his tragic history in the deep freeze. Instead, he takes, a, takes to a time-honored cowboy tradition of women and liquor to soothe his aching heart. But when a petite brunette with a feisty temper comes crashing into his world, he realizes what he's been missing. Francesca Frankie Scott has been has walked through fire herself. Nowadays, she just isn't a people person, and she's definitely not interested in a wannabe playboy ranch owner either. She has a mission, and it could mean life or death for someone close to her if she gets distracted. Closing the gap between these two wounded souls could mean surviving yet another tragedy. Will their determination to hide their pain from themselves be their downfall, or will they come through this rough ride together? That's the back jacket for a book called Rough Ride Romeo. And now you get to write for me the first sentence of that book. So team, please write me the first line of the classic Harlequin romance novel, Rough Ride Romeo, now. Oh, we're, we're losing them, folks. We're losing them. May have pushed them too far on this one. <laughs> Rough Ride Romeo. Book two in the Crawley Creek series. Because the first one was so good. Oh, it warrants a, it warrants a sequel for sure. There, there's a several, actually. I believe there are four or five, maybe even six in this series. I, I did not see them all. Again, the Goodwill had what it had available to us. I didn't get to find out what happened in chapter one. Here, I'll, I'll help inspire the group. This can definitely not go in the show notes. 
I probably shouldn't even have it on a work computer, but I will drop in the uh, chat for you the cover of the book to help inspire your... Check that out. <laughs> the actual cover of Rough Ride Romeo for you. That changes everything now. <laughs> it changes everything, right? No, it doesn't. It's exactly what you think it is, people. Exactly. Everybody looks shell shocked right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know. Thousand yard definition stare. Okay, all the definitions are in. I asked my team to write the first line of the Harlequin classic Crawley Creek Ranch book, Rough Ride Romeo. Here's what they sent me, plus a real one, to see what is what. Rough Ride Romeo. <clears throat> Francesca flings her long legs over her loyal and steady mount called Stallion as she looked toward the horizon, looking for her lover who was <laughs> off taking a nap. <laughs> Romeo, a young ranch owner, is returning from the war is returning from the war battered, dejected, and downtrodden, but ready to begin working on the ranch again. It was a dark and stormy night. After days on the trail, Roman rode into his family ranch to meet the cold eyes of Francesca, whose eyes and heart were as cold and as wild as the stream that ran through his ranch. He was a ranch hand in a small town who had a bad boy image, but all he wanted to do was ride rough in the rodeo. And the sound of an engine shattered Roman Fremont's peaceful snoring as he choked on an inhale and fumbling awake. One of those is the real way Rough Ride Romeo begins. It's up to you to figure out which. And the first to get to guess in this round is Suzanne. Suzanne. How does Rough Ride Romeo get started? It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> it was a dark and stormy night, says Suzanne. All right. Uh, Lisa. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to dark and stormy night it too. Lisa also going for the start dark and stormy night. Okie doke. Dan, Rough Ride Romeo. How do we start? <laughs> Dan is shaking his head in disbelief. Yeah. Um, you work with these people. The long legged one. I'm just going to give, I think somebody wrote that. I think that's okay. great. So we're going to go. Francesca flings her long legs over her loyal yeah. and steady mount. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Kara? What was the second one? Uh, Romeo, a young ranch owner, is returning from the war, battered, dejected, and downtrodden, but ready to begin working on the ranch again. Let's go that one. Okay. And Chris, what do you think? What was the last one again? The sound of an engine shattered Roman Fremont's peaceful snoring, and he choked on an inhale, fumbling awake. <laughs> I'm going to go with that one. All right. You go with it. Okay. Well, those are your guesses. Wow. Yeah. That was quite a thing. Let's, uh, let's see what happened there. <clears throat> uh, let's start with let's start with Kara 
Kara, who thought that Romeo, a young ranch owner who's returning from the war, battered, dejected, and downtrodden, but ready to begin working on the ranch again, was the beginning of Rough Ride Romeo. It was not. That was Chris's first line to a book, so a point to Chris. He's now at 16 points. Uh, let's see. Who was next? Uh, Dan, who also has 16 points, thought that the opening line was Francesca flings her long legs over her loyal and steady mount called Stallion as she looked toward the horizon, looking for her lover who was off taking a nap. That was Lisa's steady mount that you were mounting there, Dan. So point to Lisa for that one. Congratulations, Lisa. Uh, let's see who else. Suzanne and Lisa, by the way, thought that it was a dark and stormy night was the beginning to this classic tale. <laughs> it's beginning to some classic tale, not this one, as uh, Suzanne could have told you, Lisa, because she picked her own and took you with her. That was Suzanne's for a point to her. And that just leaves Chris. <clears throat> Chris, who thought that the sound of an engine shattered Roman Fremont's peaceful snoring as he choked on an inhale, fumbling awake, was the beginning of Rough Ride Romeo. And if he's right... He's going to win this whole thing right here and now. And if he's wrong, I'm getting three more points. But he's right. So congratulations to Chris, who picked the right answer and scores himself 18 points, taking home the game. Nice job. Uh, So there you have it, folks. Our first inaugural game of Book Club Word Nonsense. And Chris Morgan takes it home with a score of 18. Dan was right on his heels at 16 points. Uh, followed by uh, Lisa and Kara, who were tied at 11 points. Suzanne actually made it all the way up to 10, which means I actually was in. I had to do my math right, uh, which means I actually finished in last place at nine. But that's as it should be because you guys are here to have more fun. So nice job, everybody. Everybody beat the Dasher and everybody came in nice. And Chris wins it with uh, with Rough Ride Romeo. So congratulations, Chris, for. Yeah. Was, the prize, was the prize the actual book? I was going to say, do we get that book? yes i will i will be sending you a copy of rough ride romeo of your very own all right so that's it congratulations and thank you guys for being in the inaugural edition of uh words with friends no i can't use that title either i'll figure out a title for this at some point uh but let me thank my players uh one last time for being here lisa thank you for joining us and playing along this nonsense absolutely it was awesome uh dan thank you for being here thanks jeff congrats chris or romeo Kara, uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. It was tons of fun. Absolutely. You made this a special crossover edition. I love it. Uh, Chris, a.k.a. Romeo, nice work. Congratulations, and thank you for being here. Thanks. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> <laughs> have, a, have a rum pot with it, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. And uh, Suzanne, uh, thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Stay stay off the bibliopole <laughs> if you would, please. And that'll do it for us. And season one of the Brew University Book Club special bonus episode. I've been your host, Jeff Weaver. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you in season two, which will be along shortly.